gentlemen. How good to get to be together. How fun to watch what's happening here. How grateful I am uh, for this hour, for your presence, for your leadership in the homes that you lead, in the church that you're part of here. And, and, uh, and I think we should say thank you also to Mace Perez for his leadership. Let's give him a hand for just great leadership. So a couple of months ago, he sent me a, a, a note that said, so Ken, we've been having a study on 1 Timothy and fighting the good fight. And we believe one of the biggest hindrances to men fighting the good fight is busyness. And so we want to hear from you because surely you've solved it. <laughs> I guess we'll find out. He said, you, the disciple, the husband, and the dad on how to fight busyness so that you can be a great disciple, a husband, and a dad. So I'm glad to have the chance uh, to talk about it. Uh, let me pray once more for us, and then we'll, we'll just do that. Lord, thank you for each person here, for the truth of your word, for the timelessness of it in the measured time that you give to us. Won't you bless this time, even now, and help us to think in ways that could affect the rest of our day, the rest of our year, the rest of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, to get into the subject, I will draw from my friend Rob Renfro, who writes in his book, The Joy Stealers, you are limited. And accepting your limitations is foundational to living a meaningful, functional, exciting, joyful life. Now, who wants to hear that? Who wants to hear you're limited? Coaches don't go into locker rooms and say, hey, boys, I just want to tell you, you're limited, you know? No, he's going to go in and say quite the opposite. You're limited doesn't sell t-shirts. Nobody wants a bumper sticker that says you're limited. No, what sells is if you put your mind to it, you can do it, right? The only limits are in your mind. <clears throat> That's what we want to hear. But the truth is, while you and I can do many things that we set our minds to, none of us can do everything because all of us are limited. We're limited in the hours that we have in our days. We're limited in the energy that our bodies have in the talents that we possess. Like the proverbial plate that you carry through a buffet. Finally, there's just no more room on the plate to put any more food. It's all filled up. Or like a Lego, you know, the little plastic uh, things that you snap together and you build stuff. What do they have? Six, eight little prongs. But finally, you're all snapped up. There's no room to snap anything else onto. And it's important for us to realize this because well, from my vantage point, I see a lot of people who find 
that they have filled their proverbial plates with a lot of stuff, but it's not the best stuff. They're perpetually snapped up. But I wonder sometimes when you're 70 or 80 or 90, I wonder if what's snapping up your life's minutes right now and what you're constructing right now you'll be pleased with when you look in hindsight. So the reason that we have to start here on the topic of the day is because there's a truth. It's, and it comes in scripture. Before we get to our primary text, I want to show you uh, a passage in Psalm 90 where the psalmist says in 90:10, our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. But then they quickly pass and we fly away. The years feel slow when we're going through them, but in hindsight, we look back and we say, where did all those years go? How did the time fly like this? How can I be this old? So he continues in verse 12 of Psalm 90. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now turn in your Bibles or your devices to Ephesians 5. That's where I want to camp for the next uh, rest of our time. Ephesians chapter 5. Paul's writing to the Corinthians, to the Ephesian church, the church in Ephesus. And he's going to say, as he's getting towards the end, he's going to say, and we'll start in chapter 5, verse 14, the second part of 14. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then at how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In this passage, he's telling us three things, and I want to make sure that we get those three things in our time right now. So here's the first one. The first thing he's saying is be careful. You and I, we've got to be careful. Look carefully, he says in verse 15, at how you walk. Watch your step, keep your head, use your head. And he, he's saying just before that, he's coming out of saying, hey, 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 wake up. Now that you've been saved, now that you've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, you can't just be lollygagging your way through life. You've got to be careful about this. Another translation says, be circumspect, meaning from two Latin words, look full circle. Look side to side, alert. Why? Because you're every day and I, we're walking through a minefield. One or two wrong steps, boom. We can really mess things up. Like a friend of mine, two days ago I was sitting in the car place and the phone rings and he says, I need to talk. And I said, well... I guess we can talk till the man comes back in. What, what's up? And he says, I've destroyed my ministry. It's like, oh no, what'd you do? He says, well, I've been having an affair for two years. And this is someone who probably you, most of you wouldn't have heard of, but he is a prominent consultant in the church world. It's written, speaks at a lot of conferences. I'm like, oh, no, he said, I just, 
because of our friendship, I wanted you to hear it first. 14 staff have already been laid off. We've lost our biggest clients already. And uh, I don't know exactly where we're going to go from here. And I was sitting there in the awkwardness of being in the car place. And I said, look, I want to continue the conversation because I want to help you however I can help you in the rebuilding process. But I know this before we even have our follow-up talk. I know a few things got squeezed off his plate. I know that his devotional life wasn't really substantive. You can't have a devotional life that's substantive where you're really talking to the Lord and where you're really reading God's word. As Mark was saying in the, in the video that we watched, you can't really have that and be living duplicitously. The Holy Spirit's just going to work on that and say, no, you can't be doing that. So I know that that got squeezed to the outermost edge of the plate, just dangling off and most likely just sort of fell off. And I know the same about his marriage and his children. Those things, you, you were giving lip service to them, but, but you weren't putting the main thing in the center of the plate and you know this sin will always take you further than you planned to go it will always keep you longer than you intended to stay and it will always cost more than you ever wanted to pay so let's just start by asking how are you doing in your personal walk with the lord he's saying for starters we got to be careful we have to give attention to this Is he the first thing that you're putting on your plate every day, going to his word, spending time uh, in prayer? I've just learned over the years, if I don't put that on first, my my plate's going to be imbalanced. If I don't do that for several days, it gets real wobbly. And heaven help the person who just never really gets it in there. I think we see, you know, where that can go so very quickly. Same with uh, the, the marriage, same with the parenting. Are you prioritizing those things getting on the, or do you have a, a regular date night? Uh, like a weekly date night or at least a, a monthly date night? Or, or maybe a, a, a get together, uh, I mean a, a retreat is, is what I'm trying to say. Suzanne and I find that usually a couple times a year, usually at our anniversary and then maybe for just, uh, just a couple nights sometime in the spring or the summer. Even if we go no further than just a hotel in the woodlands, just to be a little bit away from the chaos, prioritize each other. Make sure that we're in the center of the plate with each other. It's so good for our communication, for our trust, for our friendship, for our love. So how are you doing on, on that? Being careful to make sure that these main things are, are getting into the center of your plate. And, and what about with parenting, fathering? How is your quantity time? And I do mean quantity time because I think we fool ourselves when we say, well, you know, I spent quality time with this child this week. How much quantity? Well, that's about seven minutes, but boy, was it quality. You know, and, 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 and we can do that. But the truth of the matter is our children spell 
love. T-I-M-E. There has to be a quantity to it. And that's where the quality comes from. from. How are you doing on, on making that, that quantity time? Whether your kid's thing is sports or scouts or camping or biking or cheering or dancing or whatever it is, where are you stepping into that child's world and giving them your eyes and your ears and your heart, your engagement? In essence, saying you're in the center of my plate. You're not even on the edges. You're a priority for me. Paul's saying, look carefully then at how you walk. He's going to tell us why in 16b. Because the days are evil. He's, he's going to say, look, you live in a fallen world. All of us do. And the devil is always going to tempt us to misuse our time. And that's why Peter will tell us in one of his letters, 1 Peter 5.8, our enemy, the devil, is constantly roaming around like a prowling lion seeking whom he can devour. He'll pounce on you the moment you give him an opportunity. So we have to be circumspect, looking full circle, because what has your mind has you. What gets your focus gets you. Incidentally, can you come back from sin? Can you come back from a moral fall like my friend is in the throes of? Certainly. Certainly with God you can because his grace is unending. Sometimes the same can't be said for our spouses or for our children's. And we only get so much time to invest in them. And so we have to make those years count, right? Some of you know this because you've already launched all of yours. Others of you, you're kind of where I am. Some of you have younger kids. And so, you, you, you know, you calculate. I only get, what, 18 years? 19? For some, 20, 21, 22 25, 26, but still, you don't get forever. <clears throat> Sometimes when I'm pondering this, I go back to that old 70s song, The Cats in the Cradle. You remember that one? Uh, let me read you the words. My child arrived just the other day, came into the world in the usual way, but there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. He was a talking for I knew it. And as he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know I'm going to be like you. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man on the moon. When are you coming home, Dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I got a lot to do. He said, that's okay, and he walked away, but his smile never dimmed. He said, I'm, I'm going to be like him, yeah. You know I'm going to be like him. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, a little boy blue and the man on the moon. When are you coming home, Dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. Well, he came from college just the other day. So much like a man, 
I just had to say, son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit for a while? He shook his head and said with a smile, I'd really like to, dad. Uh, What I'd really like, dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. Can I have them, please? The cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy balloon and the man in the moon. When are you coming home? Don't know when, but we'll get together then, dad. You know we'll have a good time then. I've long since retired and my son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. Said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I can find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle and the kids have the flu, but it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's been sure nice talking to you. As I hung up the phone, it occurred to me he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. The cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, the little boy blue, the man in the moon. When are you coming home, son? I don't know when, but we'll get together then, Dad. We're going to have a good time then. That's a sobering song, isn't it? And worth our pondering. Um, First thing Paul is saying is, you're going to have to be careful. That has everything to do with our priorities when it comes to the subject of busyness. Why? Because we're limited. There's only so much that fits on your plate. There's so many, so, so many prongs and you're snapped up. Nobody accidentally stumbled into a vibrant marriage, a vibrant home life with children, or a vibrant walk with God. That's got to be a priority. And secondly, Paul says, be productive. Be productive. That comes in verse 16, making the best use of the time. Why? Because you only get so much. The great... Uh, British preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon in 1800 said, do not believe that you're standing still. You're not. Your pulses each moment beat the funeral march to your eventual tomb. You're chained to the chariot of rolling time. There's no bridling the horses pulling you forward, nor is there leaping, any leaping from the chariot. And a great theologian, Dr. Seuss, he said, how did it get so late so soon? It's night night before it's afternoon. December is here before it's June. My goodness, how the time has flown. How did it get so late so soon? Most of us, they say, have, I don't know, a thousand months of life. That's 83 years. Maybe you get a few dozen more. Maybe you get a few dozen less. How do we beat back the busyness? By standing as best we can at the end and looking back to the now and saying, what must be on my plate? What must be on my plate? We've got to be making the best use of our time because Jesus is going to say in John 9, 4, night is coming, and then no one can work. I've shared before uh, about Dr. Lewis Smeads, who was a, an esteemed professor at Fuller Seminary. He's in heaven now. <clears throat> but he wrote an interesting thing along these lines. He said, I, brought, I bought a brand new calendar yesterday with 
pages of blank squares. Each square has a number to tell me which day of the month I'm in. Each square is a frame for one episode of my life. Before I'm through with the book, I'll fill the squares with classes that I'm teaching, people who I'm eating lunch with, committee meetings I'm attending, and I'll fill, I'll fill the squares too with things that I don't write down, thousands of cups of coffee, some praying, gestures of help to my neighbors. Whatever I do, it has to fit in one aside, inside one of those squares in my calendar. I live one square at a time. Each square has an invisible door that leads to the next square. And at midnight, that door opens and I'm pulled through it as if by a magnet sucked into the next square to fill that frame now. As, as I get older, the squares seem to get smaller. And one day I'll walk into the square that has no door. There'll be no mysterious opening or walking into the next square that day. One of those squares will be my last. I don't know which one it'll be. So I have to take care to fill the squares as wisely as I can right now. We have to be careful. We have to <clears throat> be productive. And finally, a third thing. We have to be wise. We have to be wise. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In other words, don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the master wants. And here's what helps on this. You've got to realize your life is not your life. That's something that really leads to a breakthrough when we realize your life's not your life, your time's not your time. What does 1 Corinthians six nineteen tell us? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. What was the price? The price of Christ's blood being spilled for you on the cross. The Savior who came and lived the life you couldn't live and die the death that you deserved. To conquer the grave you would never conquer. And now you belong to him if you are in Christ. And thus, as a redeemed person, you're not your own. And therefore, as Paul wrote to Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 10, you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do the good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. The fool lives oblivious to God and his purposes. And that's who we were before we had Jesus. But that's not who we are now if we're in Christ. Because his Holy Spirit indwells us and infuses us with wisdom if we will hear it. So let me just share practically some ways that I'm uh, trying to be wise myself. Just illustrating personally, not legalistically. This is not therefore you go and do likewise. This is what I've discovered about myself and what others who know me well have discovered about me too. I am a compulsive type of person. I am diagnosed obsessive compulsive, OCD, take medication for it, which has great uh, upsides. You can really get a lot done if you put your mind to it. Uh, it really has some downsides as well. <clears throat> One of the downsides, if if you, you get going down the wrong track, you can get way down the wrong track, way too far, and keep convincing yourself, I'm gonna get this thing 
and it doesn't work. And so this is the primary reason that I don't have a social media presence. Uh, At times I thought, well, maybe I should do that. But then Suzanne or somebody says, yeah, but if you do, you could just slip into the abyss because you'll want to know everything about everyone. And and then you can't help yourself. Sometimes you talk before you really thought and no, just don't. And so it means that I usually am running a day or two behind on the current news, but I always find it out. Suzanne tells me or somebody on our staff says, you need to know this. So I say no to that. Why? Because I want to say yes to the other things that I've been talking about. Same with TV. I don't really watch TV. I mean, we'll watch NFL on Sundays or basketball or or baseball because one of my boys loves watching sports. So that's, we'll do that together. He loves it when I'm sitting there with him watching. And uh, so we do that. That's about all the TV I watch. And I gave up cable news four or five or six years ago because that was hopelessly uh, discouraging to me and had grown to such uh, extreme pulls on each side. I was like, this isn't even news. This is not good for my mind. It's not good for my soul. Same with uh, handling uh, our finances. I did that by myself for a while. And I found that I wanted to read all the time and investments. And, and, and that's why I'm so thankful for a table like the Edward Jones table back there that has all those people. They can help you do that. And then you don't have to, to use the time on your plate uh, doing that. I just realized this is not good for me because then the uh, tentacles of greed start getting wrapped around me and I, and I get consumed with it. And the things that matter start moving to the edge of the plate. Dare I say it, this is me, this is not you. So there's, there's no guilt. You, you, what I'm trying to do is just stir your pot so you can think about it. But seeing Pastor Dan out there just got me thinking about 25 or 30 years ago, he started playing golf. And he was having fun doing it and telling me all about it. And this is back when he lived in Georgia. And one day I said to him, do you think I should play golf? He thought for a minute and he said, brother, knowing what I know about you, I think you better not. Because I think you'd go out there every day and, you, and, and, and it's time consuming and it's pricey. And, but you'll want to drive yourself to do it better and better and better. And I said, that's probably the better part of wisdom. So I, I'm not a golfer. Um, now, I will say this, if you are, good for you. You should use those hours, because they come in big blocks, missionally. Uh, that's how I hope that I would be using it if I did do it. Taking people that you can build relationships with and share the, the news of Christ and discipling them and that, that sort of thing. Um, and even in terms of social calendar, I would say the war lines have a comparatively boring social calendar. Uh, Certainly for suburbia. But the reason I can say that with total peace and not a lick of FOMO is because we decided we get these, you know, 18-ish years 
to really get this right. And there's always going to be people who would like to be with us or that we would like to be with. But where does that lead? It just, it just, there's only so many prongs on the Lego and we're going to be snapped up. And so we have a comparatively unimpressive social life. But the flip side is we have a comparatively awesome family life, marriage, and walks with the Lord, and some friends that we're close with, and certainly extended family that we're blessed to have all of in the city. And that's just kind of how we do it. Now, I say that again, so that not that you go, oh my gosh, I just feel like I'm such a loser compared, no, 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 because you might say, no, you're the loser. And that's okay too. But what I do want you to do, because you're going to have some talking time here in a minute to process, you need to be thinking about what does come onto my plate? Why? Because you're limited. All of us are limited, right? So that's where we have to um, do some thinking through of these things. Let me close uh, with something I read that just recently got me thinking. It's a statement that came from Mahatma Gandhi, who was no Christian. And I didn't typically go around quoting non-Christians, but we can, Christians can still learn from, from those that weren't, right? And certainly what Gandhi accomplished with his life is hard to imagine. He determined that he was going to free India from British rule. At the height of its power, the British Empire, largest empire the world had ever seen. During Gandhi's lifetime, it held sway over a quarter of the world's population and nearly a fourth of the world's land mass. British India was the empire's most valuable possession, the jewel in the crown. And its resources were integral to Britain's strength and the primary reason for uh, England's, or the the empire's uh, continuing wealth. So Gandhi, he decides that he would cause the British to leave, just to walk away from their greatest prize, not by employing physical power, but by employing moral force and nonviolence. And he succeeded, took courage, creativity, going to prison, being beaten, suffering, sacrifice. But as they watched that little man, And how he lived and what he was willing to endure for them. The people of India came to trust him and to follow him. The people of England came to respect him and believe he was right. And what was impossible to imagine imagine, actually came to pass. And so towards the end, a journalist asked Gandhi, what is your message to the world? And Gandhi replied, my life is is my message. On just about anybody else's lips, those words would sound supremely arrogant, right? But coming from this humble man, they were inspiring, they were compelling. Because there's power when a person's life and his words sync up when his message matters and 
when his life is the embodiment of that message. Gandhi's life was his message, and his message was his life. And so is yours. So what is your life saying really matters most. That's what I want you all to talk about because our life's our message and our message is our life. So let's make sure we get the right things in the center of the plate. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for the truths of your word. Thank you, God, that you came to give us life and that you, uh, that you give us a certain amount of time. We don't know what frame will be the last frame in the calendar beyond which there's no door. We don't know um, we don't know anything really but that we have today. And that's why we've got to prioritize daily. What am I going to put into my life today? My prayer is, Lord, that each man here would hear these words, that they would uh, comfort those and inspire those who have been conflicted, that they would... uh, afflict those who've been a little too comfortable that you would speak to us correct us challenge us help us to get this right and then when tomorrow gets here to get it right again and when next year gets here to get it right again because it's a battle that we wage all the time knowing that our enemy is forever prowling around eager to jump in to fill our lives up with other things that will pull us off the missions that you've given to us that really matter. And that's what we want to live for. And so won't you speak even now to us as we process together in groups? Thank you again for each of these men. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Men, thanks for joining us for this episode of the Faith Bridge Men podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe so you can catch future episodes and help us spread the good news by rating and reviewing the podcast and sharing this episode with another man who would be helped by the content. And we will catch you next time on the Faith Bridge Men podcast. Until then, keep fighting the good fight.